0: Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in Colossians. We're starting in chapter 3 today. Colossians chapter 3, it's going to be verses 1 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through through 17 You'll see today we're talking about the new self, the new self. And if you, you see up there, the background to this, um, this sermon today is, uh, what is that? It's a cocoon, right, of, or a, a chrysalis of a, a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. And this is kind of where, as I was mentioning, how everything works together, how God seems to work in all these things. So my brother this weekend, um, if you don't know, I have a younger brother who is 15. He's a lot younger than I am. Um, and he is going to what is called chrysalis. He's there right now this weekend. And so what chrysalis is, if you've ever heard of it, I think it actually is around here um, as well. There's there's one that happens around here. But where I was from, we had chrysalis and uh, the adult versions is Emmaus. And what you do is you go and the chrysalis is this idea of you come in maybe immature, or maybe not knowing Christ for some people. And through the weekend is hopefully a, a catalyst, something that will help you grow in your faith. It will help you to become new in your relationship with Christ. And so that's where he's at right now. And I was just thinking, I was like, transformation, because uh, that's really what this passage is about. And I was like, wait a second, a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Seemed kind of like the, the, the idea, and it just kind of all seems to come together. So this idea of the new self is what we're talking about today. The new self that we find in Christ and what that looks like and how that reflects in our life. So with that, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, the holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I pray that as we look at your Word this morning, as we look at what you are showing us in, in this Colossians chapter 3, Lord, I pray that you would convict us in our lives, That you would show us how we need to be renewed by you today. How we need to be transformed by you today to be who you're calling us to be so that we can live in a way that glorifies you. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning and you would help us each to focus on you and hear what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this passage, the first thing that we see is that the new self is focused on things above the new self is focused on things above, right? It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, the first thing we have to pay attention to as we read this passage, if then you've been raised with Christ. This is the first essential, important direction that we read in this passage. If then you've been raised with Christ. If you miss that part, if you skip over it, everything that follows... If you have not been raised with Christ, does not apply. Because if you have been raised with Christ is the first thing that you're supposed to pay attention to. I remember being in sixth grade and we had our science class. And the first assignment they gave us in science was this, this paper that had all of these, these instructions, these weird things you had to do, like sign your name upside down on the bottom of the page. But the first instruction was, read all the instructions before you begin. Now, being sixth graders, what do you think 99% of the class did not do? We didn't read the instructions. Because if you read the instructions, you got to the last one. The last instruction says, disregard everything you've read, write your name on top of the paper, and turn it in. That's all you're supposed to do. And so here we are, 30 minutes into this class, and everybody's turning their paper, folding it into a paper airplane, doing all these crazy things. And you got a couple kids that are just kind of sitting there, like they're doing nothing. And then we all get to the end, and we're like, oh. None of that made any sense. It didn't apply to me. I wasn't supposed to do those things. Because here's what we're talking about today. When you heard this passage, put off all these things, stop doing all these things that are sinful, do all of these things that are good that glorify God. Those things that we do are not for our salvation. Our salvation is found in Christ, in Christ alone and what he did for us. We can only be justified through what christ has done if you've been raised with christ what does that mean you've realized your sin you've realized man i'm kind of messed up you know everyone else is but i know that i'm messed up i've got sin in my life no matter how hard i try i just can't seem to be good enough i can't pay my debt christ paid the debt we don't have to pay the debt and so being raised with Christ means I realize my sin. I know that Jesus died on the cross so that I could be forgiven, so I could be in relationship with Him. And now I want to live for Him with my life. So you're already justified. You're already declared righteous because of what Christ has done. But then, for the, through the rest of your life, God is going to sanctify you, make you look like Him through how He changes you and transforms you. Those things don't affect your salvation. Jesus paid for that but they reflect to the world what God has done in your life. So if you've been raised, you have to be raised with Christ. You have to be saved. That's the first step. All of these things we're talking about apply to people who are in a relationship with Christ. Trying and doing these things just for your own glorification, for your own uh, salvation, is not going to earn your salvation. You cannot do that. But if you've been raised with Christ, what are you supposed to do? Seek The things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You know, there's a a phenomenon, and here's the deal. I think everybody's guilty of it. No matter where you go, you're going to see something happen. You're going to see people of all ages, children, through adults that have lived long lives. You're going to see people doing this walking around, playing on their phone, right? Do you know what happens when you do that? You miss what's going on, don't you? If you're walking around, you're looking at your phone, you're sitting down, you're looking at your phone, something amazing happens, guess what you just missed? The thing that happened. Right? Sometimes people are even so preoccupied trying to get their phone out and, and record it that they miss what's going on. This is what Christ is telling us here. This is what Paul is telling us that Christ wants us to do in our lives. is that Rather than focusing on the things that are happening in the earth, focusing on earthly things, we focus on God. We pay attention to what matters. I want you to think about this. If you're looking down, if you're looking at earthly things, what are you not focused on? God. If I'm looking down here, guess what I'm not seeing? The 20 people that are in the balcony up there. If I look up, I guess what, I'm not seeing the things down here. So when you look at God, we focus on God and, and the things that are above. When that is your focus, you don't see the things that are below. It's a matter of perspective. When you focus on earthly things, what is it taking you away from? God. When you focus on God, what does it keep you and protect you from? Earthly things. You see, because there's this myth that happens, this myth, this lie that, we, that happens especially in our culture, this idea of multitasking. I think there's been some sort of research that's proven that people don't actually multitask. When people say they're a good multitasker, you know what that means? They're good at switching from one thing to another very quickly. Right? You might have a lot of tabs open on your internet, and you can go from Facebook to your work to something else and do all these things and text 15 people at once, but guess what you're not doing? You're not simultaneously doing those things. We are not made for multiple inputs. Just like an input on your TV, you can switch from HDMI 1 to HDMI 2. I know I'm speaking a foreign language to some people. But you can switch between them, but you're not watching them at the same time. If we are focused on things of this world, if we say we're a Christian, we might value God. We might value our relationship with Him. But when we're looking at the world and earthly things, what are we not looking at? God, we can't. We can't divide our... Now, we might switch back and look at God sometimes. Hey good to see you God Oh, it's Sunday I'm look at you oh Monday again I'm looking back down at earthly things no all the time we're called to focus on God and what he wants us to do in our lives so that we see what matters what what matters in our life I think there's a great example of this in scripture you remember in Genesis where God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin there and Abraham says well I have a relative there a lot will you If there's so many people, will you save the city? And it finally gets down to, Lord, just please remove Lot and his family. And so so they tell him, you're going to leave, you're going to go to this place, you're going to be saved from this destruction, but as you leave, don't look back. And so as they're leaving, Lot's wife does what? She looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. I heard you over there, you spoiler alert. (laughs) Turns into a pillar of salt. This is a picture of what it means to walk with God as a Christian. Walk with me. I've saved you from the sin. I've saved you from this, these earthly things that have taken you from me. Look at me now. Don't look at the world. Because when you take your eyes off of Jesus, you begin to look at the things that took you from Him in the first place. Now, when I say this, when it says don't think about earthly things, that doesn't mean you just sit in a room and you only pray and you only read your Bible. That's not what it means to focus on things above. It means that as you live this life, you're not consumed with pleasing people. You're not consumed with trying to earn your value because all those things are found in Christ. You interact with your marriage, your friendships, your job in a way that points people to God rather than trying to earn your value in those things or trying to work your way toward God through your efforts in those things. So we must be first focused on God. We must prioritize our life, and if we have been saved, all of our priorities should shift. We all have times where our priorities shift, right? When you're a kid, isn't it so fun? You think about it now. When you're a kid, what do you have to do? You just have to go pretty much when someone's going to tell you. They take you places. You get to go play sports. You get to go. You have to sit in school. Not everyone liked that. I know I didn't when I was little, but then you get home, and you get to do whatever you want, you do fun stuff. You don't have to worry about bills. You don't have to worry about all these things, Then you get older, You have priorities. What are some big priority shift moments when you get married? Oh, it's not all about me anymore, is it? I got this person that sometimes pushes my buttons that I got to learn how I'm going to live with. Your priorities shift. It's not just about taking care of yourself. It's about living a life with this person. And then what? Oh, you have kids. You know how many people I've seen in their lives where when they had a kid, everything changed? everything changed. Sometimes it's for good. Sometimes it's for bad. I, I've seen people that were young parents. It was a, it was a young father had a, had a, a child when they were a teenager grew him up real quick. He realized how he needed to be living because he realized that he was responsible for someone else, for raising someone else. You can think about that in your life, can't you? About Maybe you had children, you had a new job, something that changed your priorities, you realized things were different. When we come to Christ, it's a major priority shift, the biggest one we can have. We're not living for ourselves, we're not living for other people, we're living for God. And in doing that, we will be the best at living and helping, we will be the best spouse, you'll be the best parent, because in honoring God, you have to honor Him in the way you fulfill those things He's given you. When we focus on him, one of, the, one of the things that we talked about, about God's glory, is that it's light, right? When Moses went to the mountain and met with God, when he came down, what did he have to do? He had to put a veil over his face because his face shone so brightly that the people were blinded by it. They wanted him to put a veil over his face when he was in front of the people. And there's a passage in, in the New Testament that talks about how we with unveiled faces We'll go into this world. We will live in this world. What does that mean? That we reflect God's glory in our life. But how do you reflect God's glory? When you're looking at it. When that is what you are resting in. There's a, there's a song that was, was out when I was younger that I remember by Francesco Battistelli. It talks about, let all my worries fade and fall to the ground. I'm going to seek your face and not look around till the place I'm in grows strangely, strangely, strangely dim you ever experienced that where you've been outside all day and you go into a dark room you can't see anything it's dim it's only when you sit in darkness that your eyes become accustomed to it right we live in a world that is filled with darkness people doing unspeakable things people living in unspeakable ways and we have to acknowledge as we're going to get to that we too once walked in these ways now maybe we didn't do some things but we walked in the darkness before we found christ if you're focused on the earthly things, if you're focused on the world you're living in, it, guess what you become accustomed to? Living in the darkness. And it's when you, are, you see Christ, right? when you see the light of God and what He's done for you, and you focus on that, all of that stuff becomes strangely dim. You don't recognize it anymore. It doesn't concern you anymore because you are beholding something that's so much more glorious. Glorious. That's what we should have when we focus on Christ. So the new self is focused on the things above. And because of that, the new self puts off sinful living. The new self puts off sinful living. I probably should have changed that to puts to death sinful living. We'll get to that in a minute. But there's an illustration I want to share with you, and I was telling Dennis about this earlier, but this one came to me last night while I was in the shower, okay? That's um, a great place to think. If you ever need a breakthrough mentally, just take a shower, and it'll come to you, right? And, and so this week I had a, a fun project. Jada's heard about it way too much. She doesn't want to hear me talk about it anymore. But um, some of you may know I used it last week. I have a, a gym in my garage, okay? And one thing that I knew that I wanted to get was some, some more weights, Because the kind of weights I have are really wide and they take up too much room on the bar. So I wanted some metal ones that don't take as much room. And so I found a great deal on Facebook of some used weights. Okay, so I went and I bought them. And and you'll see a picture here of what they look like. Um, Now, here's the deal. They're not in great condition. They're supposed to be completely silver. That's what they look like when they're new. And you can't tell as much in this picture, but they are covered in rust. When I grabbed them, my hands were filthy. But, but here's the thing they say about weight is that weight is weight, right? 40 pounds is 45 pounds, whether it's these or brand new, really expensive ones. And so I was excited to get them. But here's the deal. I had to do some work to these plates. Now, I could have used them this way, but they were going to continue to corrode and get more rusty because they're going to be in my garage. And so the pr- protective coating's chipped off. The rust is, is corroding them. It'll continue to spread And if nothing changes, they're going to continue to corrode. So I had to strip them. I put them into a a vat of vinegar to strip the rust off. I scrubbed them with a steel brush to get that rust to come off of them. Wipe them down to remove everything that was tearing these plates into pieces. I tried to make them prepared to become something better than they were. And So this is what we see in this passage. You can go away from that picture now. We are called to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Right? Here's the deal. When we come to Christ, that's what we're like. We are like those weight plates. We're covered in rust, and we are covered in mars and, and chips and, and nick. We we don't look pretty because of the sin in our life. Sin is ugly, it's corrosive, it destroys us. And just like that, it also gets onto other people. It hurts other people, right? I, I grabbed those plates and my hands were covered in, in filth because when we have sin in our lives, it doesn't just affect us in the way that we look in our hearts. It hurts other people as well, so we're called to put to death. Therefore, what is earthly? This is the idea of making war with the sin in your life, because Christ died for the sin in our life. And it says in, in Romans, it says, "How can we then live in it any longer? We can't continue to live and, and, and enjoy and, and revel in things that Christ died to save us from." So put to death. Therefore, what is earthly. And he gives us a big list. We're going to go through some of these things. Now here, this is not an exhaustive list because he gives other lists like these in other books. And some of them are the same and some of them are different. So put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. So what does that mean? There's one standard that God has given us. One man, one woman in marriage. Anything outside of that is what the Bible would call sexual immorality. Ways that we should not be living. One man, one woman in marriage. Anything outside of that. Impurity. Living lifestyles that are impure. Doing and engaging in things that we know are not God's standard. God calls us to be holy. What's the opposite of holy? Evil or impure. We've got to put impurity out of our life. Passion. Pursuing fleshly desires. Pursuing things that the flesh drives us towards. Sinful desires and passions. Evil desires. Entertaining Desires within us that are evil. Things that would take us from God. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Coveting is when we yearn for something we don't have. When you want something, you have this urge in you to have something you don't. What this is saying is if you do that, if you're coveting something, you're making it an idol in your heart. Anger. Being filled with anger for your fellow man. That, that's a hard one. We're getting to some of the hard ones now, right? Having anger within us. Being angry people. We should not be filled with anger if we are following Christ. Wrath. Being a person that acts upon your anger. Because here's the deal. Children ought to respect their parents. This is probably one of the easiest places to see it. But they shouldn't be fearful of a father's wrath. They should be motivated by a father's love. Because wrath is what makes you not want to be around someone. We should not be wrathful people. And then malice, evil thoughts and intentions, malicious intent, right? And there was a song that came out quite a while ago, it was a country song, and I could not stand it. Because it talks about, the, the title of the song is I'll pray for you. Okay? Talking about how you're going to pray for somebody. If you want to hear what it says, it's so malicious. And it says, I haven't been to church since I don't know when. Things weren't go- were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who've done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. You just pray for them. So then comes the chorus. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. And now, the whole, here's the thing. You're laughing. It's supposed to be funny. The whole song was supposed to be funny. But what is that? That's maliciousness within our heart. Right? That makes us want things that are bad to happen to people. Harbors resentment, harbors bitterness, harbors anger, and leads to malicious and evil desires within our heart got to put those things away put them to death slander spreading lies about someone to hurt them obscene talk from your mouth now here's the deal people i've heard people especially growing up they're like well the bible doesn't say anything about not cussing i don't see any words listed in there you're not supposed to say i think this covers it christians should not have filthy language coming out of their mouth but more than that not just are there certain words you maybe shouldn't say as a christian i've heard many things said by people or many songs or movies that contain things that were filthy and obscene without any four-letter words being used. There are things that are allowed to play on the radio that no Christian should be consuming and definitely should not be coming out of our mouths. We should not have obscene talk coming from our mouths, anything filthy, lying. God is truth. And we should be people who are truthful with one another. Why? Why do we put these things to death? Because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Because we know that Christ died for us so that, because He loves us and so that we can be made right with God, but we often forget the other part of that equation is that He died so that we could be made right with Him to save us from the wrath of God that is coming because of our sin. Because God hates sin. He hates what it does to us, how it destroys us, He hates that it is an affront to His holiness and His glory. And so He died to save us from it so that we could be made right with Him. He died to save us from the wrath that was to come. And because we know that is why Christ has saved us and what He has saved us from, we should not live in these things any longer. Not because we have to earn our love, not because we have to pay off a debt, but because God saved me from this. I don't want to live it any longer. I don't want to live in it any longer. And so we see what happened, if you go back to that picture, that, that I had to clean these plates off. I had to get that junk off of them if I wanted them to last any amount of time. I had to work to get the, the corrosive rust, the reason they were being destroyed, I had to get it off of them. Because we see now that the new self puts on righteousness. So we put to death the old things, the earthly things in us. We put that off, we put it to death, and now we put on the new self. We put on righteousness. And so you're going to see here what this looks like when this gets completed. You put off the corrosive things, right? Put it all on so it doesn't come back. Covered it with a a rust converter to get anything that was there to change it. And I painted them. And I even gave them some detail to make them look nice and new. So here's what happens in our lives when God works within us. That when we put to death the things that Christ died for, we put on the new stuff, we put on righteousness, we will glorify God with our lives. So put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved. I want you to understand that is a part of the title that Paul is giving you. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who you are in Christ. God chose you, he died for you. Christ died for you. And because of what he's done, you are called holy and you are a beloved child. Since that's who you are, you don't live in what we just talked about. You do this instead. You have compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Christians must be defined by this. Compassionate hearts. What does that mean? We care about what God cares about. Now you may be like me, and you realize at times that you're a little jaded. Anytime you're watching TV and, and that song, "When an Arm in the Arms of an Angel" comes on, right, and you know somebody's going to be asking you for money for some cause, you just turn, change the channel. Why? What is that? It's a lack of compassion within our hearts. We have to be careful about that in our lives. Because it's easy to say, oh, well, it's just a commercial. But how does that look in your life when you go around? When you see people that are hurting, that are struggling, that are going through the worst things they could possibly imagine, dealing with addiction, dealing with being broken, is your heart moved for those people? Because God's heart is moved for those people. Wanting to see what is broken be restored and made new in Jesus Christ. And so if we have put all these malicious things and evil desires, evil intentions away, we have to replace it with, with newness of life. With compassionate hearts. Kindness. We should be kind to everyone that we meet. Do you want know to be a fantastic thing? What is our, I would love to know what our church is known for when we go out. If people know anything about our church, what are we known for? How we live will determine what we're known for. You know, oh, well, those people at New Bethel, they're really, what is it? Are they really compassionate? Are they really kind? We should be kind people, kind to everyone that we meet, humility we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but should be humble servants of God. Meekness. We should walk in meekness. So what is meekness? We always hear that Jesus was meek. Meekness is gentleness. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Meekness does not equal weakness. Okay? Sometimes we get that confused. If someone's meek, it's someone that can't do anything about a situation. They're someone who's gentle because they have That's not the case. Meekness is being gentle even though maybe you wouldn't have to be. Think about it this way. A, a, a man, a, a strong man that could do tremendous harm holding an infant gently. They were being meek. They were being gentle with that. Think about Jesus an example of meekness. He could have called down angel armies. He could have done anything to stop what these people were doing him, but he, went, he was humble He was meek to the point of death because it benefited us. So what does meekness look like for the Christian? It means you go out into the world and when people come at you, when people affront you, when people accuse you, when they insult you, maybe you could do something about it. Maybe you have that perfect comeback. Maybe you physically could do something about it. But you're meek. You don't retaliate. You don't assert what you could do because God didn't assert what He could do for you. He gave you forgiveness patience you must be patient with one another and i've always heard the worst thing you can do is to pray for patience because what's that mean god's going to give you something to test your patience and in any situation i know that for many of you you might be like well i don't need to do that my patience is tested regularly we must be people who are patient patient with those in the world patient with each other this talks about bearing with one another we must bear with one another through difficulty because there's going to be times where you get something, something that makes sense to you. You know what God maybe is calling you to do. Maybe he's calling other people to do, calling the church to do, calling your Sunday school class, whatever it might be, your family, and they just don't quite get it yet. Do you know a good example of what it means to bear with one another? Have you ever been with a child that insists on buckling their own seatbelt? <laughs> that takes some patience and it takes bearing with them because you know that they're just developing they're learning they're trying to get there and you know it'd be a lot faster if you did it but this helps them develop this helps them to become the one day adult they need to be so you bear with one another there's gonna be times maybe if you're a more mature christian you see some less mature christians and you're like what don't you just get about that you know you shouldn't be doing that you know you should be doing this but you bear with one another forgiving with one another As we have been forgiven, you must also forgive. And that's hard. Everything in this world, the earthly influences, tells us that when someone wrongs you to a certain point, you are completely justified in holding a grudge, getting revenge even. But we must forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven, so we must also forgive. Put on, it says above all these things, put on love. Put on love. This is what will protect and guide us into these things. If we put on the love of Christ, if we try to love and, and fulfill the two great commandments, right? Love God, love people, we will fulfill what God wants us to do. Let the peace rule in your hearts. When you're focused on these things above, when, when the rest of the world grows strangely dim, those things don't shake you in the way they did before. Because you know that everything that you need is found in Christ and nothing can take that from you. And above all, be thankful. Be thankful in that. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. So we should know God's Word. We should take what He's revealed to us. Let it dwell within us richly. Teaching, which we're good with that part. right? We go to Sunday school. We come to the sermon. We hear the teaching. Admonishing. You know what admonishing is? That when we're teaching from God's Word, we can tell one another what we ought to be doing. You should not be doing this or you should be doing this. We can admonish one another biblically because that's what God wants us to do. That's how we build one another up. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, praising Him. Our life should be an outpouring of praise to our God for what He's done. I'll tell you largely that, that revival that we talked about last week that I think is actually still going on. Do you know what it is? It is an outpouring of praise. Now, there is re- and if it is a true revival, absolutely, there's repentance. There are people coming to know Christ. There are people turning, putting to death the sinful things, wanting to follow Him in righteousness. But largely, it is an outpouring of praise and thanksgiving for what God has done in their lives. And so that should be people who we are, praising Him with thankfulness to God in our hearts. And here's a good way, I think, to sum all of this up. In whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here is a good litmus test for your life. If you are living your life, is what you're doing in word or in deed, can you do it in the name of Jesus? Because if you can't, you shouldn't be doing it. Right? Because you can be a parent... In the name of Jesus, you can be a spouse in the name of Jesus. You can work whatever job you're working, as long as it's not sinful, in the name of Jesus. Because what does that look like? You're trying to be the best at it you can, working honestly for it, trying to, be, to honor Him in the way that you live in that job, or whatever task you have, and pointing people to God wherever you might be. You all remember Tim Tebow. That's a good example of how you play football in the name of Jesus. You try to be a good leader. You try to be a person that honors him in the way that he interacted and talked. And whenever he had the opportunity, he pointed everything to God. Can you do what you're doing in the name of Jesus? Because I'll tell you what, you can't go rob a store in the name of Jesus. Because that's sin. And so in our lives, in every single one of our lives, we're going to identify places where, you know what? I'm having a hard time saying that I'm doing that in the name of Jesus. You know what that's revealing in our heart? Sin. Sin. Because if we can't do it in Jesus' name, we're doing it for ulterior motives that are sinful. So here's what I want you to understand. This is where this all came together for me for these weight plates that that have become this example. They took a long time. If you'll show them one more time. They They took a long time to do i didn't realize especially with something heavy I'm supposed to wait 24 hours after each of the coats to to even flip them over i found that out the hard way because i made mistakes i, I sprayed them flipped them over too quickly and guess what happened went to turn them back over some of that paint peeled off and they still don't look perfect you get up close you're going to see underneath you're going to see the the old chipping coating still you're going to see places where there's nicks or something didn't cover perfectly And they're going to take maintenance to keep them nice over time. They'll chip, but that can be covered. But they were miles where they, from where they were before, and that is clear to see. And here's what I want you to understand. That if you work hard to remove the, the, the fleshly, the worldly things in your life, here's why he says it this way. You remove that and replace it with things of God. Because if you remove what is sinful and you do nothing, guess what's going to come back? What is sinful? If I did all that work to strip all the rust I could off and let them sit in that human garage and did nothing to them, guess what's going to come back within a month? All that rust and corrosion. And so what do we cover it with? What do we cover ourselves with? With the works and the good deeds that God has called us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. God helps us to strip these things away and to replace it with something different. And so now they are something that someone can look at and say, wow, those look good, instead of, wow, those are kind of junky. And so when people look at our lives, they say, wow, you used to live this way. You used to do all these things, but now you do this. You look so different. Why? Because of the power of what Jesus has done in my life. I look different by the grace of God. The same thing that God has done for me, He can do for you. And so in your life, when you put to death the things that are sinful, and you put on the things of God, you are not earning salvation, you are not doing anything for yourself. But what you're doing is you are providing a testimony of what God can do in your life. And in doing that, you are a witness to the world. Because when you say, God can transform you, look what He did to me, you can show them that proof. Because I tell you what, if you're a person that goes out and you live and you don't do any of this putting to death and you tell them about the transforming power of Jesus and they say, what do you mean? What transforming power? I don't see any difference in you. How are you different from me? This is the evidence of the work of Christ in our life. We have been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. But through the power of His Spirit, He makes us apparently righteous to the people of the world. Not forgetting that we once walked in those things. We once too walked in those things. But we've been made new. Because the new life puts on righteousness. And it will take time. You're not going to become a model, mature Christian overnight. It's going to take time. You're going to make mistakes along the way. And you're not going to achieve perfection in this life. Our, st- our scars are still going to be evident. It's still going to be clear. Whatever baggage you came to Christ with, people are still going to see it. But it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Transformed by His power. When we make mistakes, as we will, we've got to run back to the Father for further transformation. To help remove these things and to cover us again. But if we are faithful, we will put to death the things of the flesh, and put on the things of God. And when we do this, it will be evident to the world around us. And in doing so, we glorify God in the world. So my question to you today, my challenge is I invite you during this time of invitation, where in your life are there things you need to put to death? Where are in your life are there things you need to put on? to protect you, to cover you. Because you've heard that before. If you've not heard it before, they always, many addicts, people who have struggled with addiction, they don't change. If they, if they get rid of an addiction, they are very likely to find another addiction. Now the answer the Bible gives us is that we should focus all of that toward Christ. But unfortunately, many people who struggle with addiction may find another even worse or similar addiction. Some people, it's something that's maybe more productive for their life. But what have you put off? What do you need to put on? And the most important question you can answer this morning, are you in Christ? Do you have a relationship with, you, with Him? Have you acknowledged your sin? Have you trusted in Christ to save you, to justify you? Have you asked Him to forgive you for your sin? Have you made Him your Lord and Savior? Because if you have not, today is the day To turn to Him. To say, God, I know that I can't earn Your salvation. I can't do enough good things. Please forgive me and make me new. Wherever you are today, I invite you to respond to God. Whatever that looks like for you. Whether it means coming and talking to me. Praying. Looking for prayer. Coming to the altar and praying. Or praying right where you're at. Worshiping Him during this time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us and this time that we've gotten to look at your word. And God, I pray that you would convict each of us in our own lives. That we would put to death the things that are earthly in us and that we would focus on you and put on the things that are of you. Help us to focus on you. Help us to seek after you. God, I pray that if anyone does not know you, Lord, if they've been trusting on their own good works, they've been trusting on their own good deeds, I pray that today would be the day they would turn to you for salvation. That they would realize that they need to lay down their will and surrender to you. God, I pray that you would move in each and every one of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page email, or by calling the church office.